The Cambridge Film Show on Cambridge 105 Radio. Hello there and welcome to another edition of the Cambridge Film Show, broadcasting here on Cambridge 105 Radio across the city and South Cambridgeshire. And as it's Saturday lunchtime, it must be time for your fortnightly film treat. We've made it through January, the nights are getting longer and we have trawled the big screens and the small screens to advise you on what to watch. I'm Emma Marchant, back in the host's chair for the first time in 2024, and here to chat film today are our team of excellent reviewers. Nick Kitchen. Hello. Yossi Osman. Hello. Will Johnson. Hello. And in the double sort of engineer and reviewer, Stuart Pest. Hello. Um, carrying on with our trend that seems to be coming lately of covering all bases, we're going to look at eight films today which run the gamut from award darlings to Friday night popcorn streamers. We'll be looking at Matthew Vaughan's new spy caper, Argyle, checking out Snoop Dogg as a coach in Underdogs, and two animated offerings in Migration and Orion in the Dark. And the Dog. Also, we have Jonathan Glazer's Bravura, a much-nominated follow-up to Under the Skin, The Zone of Interest, the new musical version of The Colour Purple, another critical darling in the audacious American fiction. But we're going to start... Oh, and if we have time as well, we're going to also have a little chat about the Oscar nominations, which obviously came out, I know, nearly two weeks ago, but we haven't had a show since then. So we will, you know, we'll benefit you with the, with our glorious views. But we're going to start with the most delicate slice of magical realism you are likely to get this year or any other year and take a listen to a bit of the trailer for All of Us Strangers. Hello. Hi. Saw you looking at me from the street. I'm assuming you're not with anyone. Never see you with anyone. This your mom and dad? Yeah. They died just before I was 12. I'm trying to write about them at the moment. How's it going? Strangely. Starring Andrew Scott and Paul Mescal, All of Us Strangers tells the story of Adam, played by Scott, a 40-ish screenwriter who's living a solitary existence in a Stratford Tower block. A chance encounter in the lift with the handsome Harry, Mescal, seems to hint at romance, but it also coincides with trips back to Adam's childhood home where he's spending time with his parents who are there exactly as they were 30 years earlier when they died in a car crash. Is he brave enough to take the reality that's on offer to him? Yossi, it's only you and me on this one. From that description, that sounds slightly insane and it is quite hard to describe the world on display here without also giving too much away. Um, it is based, in fact, on a Japanese novel from 1987 called Strangers and I think you would have been have to live under a stone a little bit if you haven't been seeing the press that Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott have been doing for this and have gone on so... They, they just seem to get on so well. Did that chemistry between the two of them lift this for you into a sort of place of beauty? I want to say yes, but I do have some reservations on it. And I think that's because um, it's interesting that you mentioned magical realism and when you talk about the plot, it seems a bit, you said it seems a bit insane, but it doesn't feel insane when you watch it. The film is very dreamlike and that you can you get that from the sound, from the cinematography. And watching it, it's quite clear, when I was watching it, it's quite clear there's these sort of two narrative threads that are woven together. There's There's... Paul, uh, there's Andrew Scott's character talking to his parents, as you mentioned, who died in a car crash 33, 30 years earlier. And, and then there's this relationship that starts to develop with um, Paul Mescal. And I think, for me, perhaps unfairly, I resonated more with one 
of those threads than the other. And actually, what I found moved me more with the conversations with the parents, played by Jamie Bell and Claire Foy. And, and I say perhaps unfairly, because perhaps the reason that that resonated to me, those conversations that Andrew Scott has with his parents they brought feelings in me that that resonated in terms of how your childlike experiences can shape who you are as an adult so i did really enjoy this film i think personally i wanted a little bit more from the character development with paul mescal's character and that kind of emotional depth to their relationship as the film went on Interesting. I mean, I agree with you in that this is essentially a forehander. I didn't mention Jamie Bell and Claire Foy in the introduction. Oh, brilliant performances. Yeah. I, I, found, I found this, I didn't, a lot of people have sort of said, you know, and there were, and there were people in the cinema screen I was in who were incredibly emotionally affected by this, like really, you know, yes. really up really crying if you like and I, I'm a blubber but I didn't cry at this I, but I was incredibly touched by it because like I say I think in particular Andrew Scott's performance was so it, 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 everything is in his face he hold, he really does hold the whole film together which is why it's kind of a bit of a sad he's been a, bit, a little bit sad I think that he has been not noticed in the acting nominations because mm. I think without him it would have been hard for, for everyone else to have done mm. the work around him mm. but I think that maybe Harry, the character of Harry, Paul Mescal, is is almost like a sort of dreamlike character in itself. Like mm. you say, you're never entirely sure what's happening. They're, they're in, they seem to be in this tower block living alone. There's no one, you know, that's, that's been built, but there's no one else there. So I think that... I don't know whether or not you're meant to sort of see them as a concrete relationship or as Paul... Oh, sorry, as Adam's... As Adam gets his, you know, this is this is consciously soundtrack with a very very mid eighties soundtrack, which I remember very clearly because I was a teenager when the AIDS crisis hit in the mid eighties, and obviously this book was written. I don't know if that's, I, I don't actually know if it's a, I don't know if the original book was a homosexual love affair or not, but it is. Adam makes very clear that he was very loath to have physical relationships when he was growing up because of the AIDS crisis and the music mm -hmm. roots us very much in there and I, I don't know what you, if you picked up on that or if you thought of that so this is him coming to terms with the fear of his of his own of, of his own homosexuality yeah whilst I also did, coming out to his parents I did pick up on that and, and the way that shaped who he, it, this film is almost about who Adam is and why and how he has become who he has become and that's really interesting to me the sort of meditation on on life on love on loss was very very strong i think this is why i'm saying when i when i say to you i have reservations that i feel i am being unfair because when i talk about the emotional depth perhaps of uh, with the relationship with adam and harry and how i didn't cry either and you know me i am a crier um i actually felt quite hollow at the end but I, I'm still questioning whether or not I'm supposed to feel hollow at the end and that's kind of what, what, what the film is going for because I'm I almost felt disappointed at that. Well, I'm not I'm not to give anything away, but obviously the end can you can take the end in in multiple ways and in fact I as you know we went to go and see it with Lorcan who's on the show and we had very different takes on on, on what the end meant and where because it is a very ambiguous ending. Um but I, and now Andrew Haig, actually, I was going to ask about you, Andrew Haig, the director. I do not know. I think has he done TV work mostly before this? I don't know. I didn't know him very well, but I thought it was beautiful. I just thought it was beautifully directed. It was. I mean, like every, I say, the performances he yeah. coaxes out of these guys, and, and I haven't really seen much of Claire Foy since since The Crown, to be honest. Yes, and, and I've forgotten that there is this scene, and it, it just it almost feels like it should be risable that you have Andrew Scott as a grown man standing in his child's pajamas in his parents' bedroom, getting into bed with them, and yet. 
it isn't. It, you, by that point, like you say, the performances of the three of them are so good. And Jamie Bell, I think, is one of our finest actors. I think everything he touches, he touches with a kind of earthiness and 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 credibility that he brings to every role he plays. And he does this again as um, as Adam's dad. I just thought it was wonderfully, wonderfully portrayed. I absolutely agree, and and Claire Foy too. I mean, really, so there were some r- r- scenes in there where the three of them are having kind of introspective conversations where I was really touched and quite haunted at the end. So, you know, this is this is a great, great piece of filmmaking, I think, and it's definitely worth seeing. Yeah, it hasn't been nominated to actually Oscars, but it has. it is up for lots of BAFTAs, which are happening in a couple of weeks, and it is a beautiful slice of British filmmaking. That is All of Us Strangers. It is a Certificate 15. It's showing at all three Cambridge cinemas, and, yeah, highly recommended, I think, from both Yossi and I. Uh, right, let's check in with Matthew Vaughan's le- latest. I certainly hope you dance as well as you dress. There's only one way to find out. You and I, we're not so different. Agent Argyle. Little help? Hold on. The book is phenomenal, sweetie, but... What happens next? It's called a cliffhanger, mother. Ellie, it's called a cop-out. Following the Three Kingsmen films, which took up his last ten years, Matthew Vaughan is sticking to what he knows best and is bringing us Argyle, a spy and action caper with a starry cast. I mean, think Bryce Dallas Howard, Henry Carville, Dua Lipa, Sam Rockwell, just for starters. Stuart, I haven't seen this, so I want you to give us a quick synopsis. So, um... Contrary to what the trailer would have you believe, it's, it's, it, it leads in with a, a struggling author who is trying to sell her, or start begin to write the next instalment of her d- spy thriller series, Argyle. And it very quickly becomes apparent that she's struggling to write this and she starts looking to her characters for inspiration. And s- some of those characters, it turns out, exist in the real world and she's been narrating the plot of real world events and that's the launching point of our story and we find out how that's come to fruition okay interesting um will are you a big matthew vaughan fan in general are you a fan of the kingsman films because i'm not gonna lie this hasn't come garlanded with critical praise shall we mm. say it came with it's come with a very hot press tour and everyone's look great and you've got the cat bags and the, and, and the plaid and everything but then the reviews came out and were maybe a little more middling how did you find it i absolutely loved it um obviously i've enjoyed all the kingsman movies and if you actually watch it there's little shades of um of a kickback towards a kingsman and i know it's received many mixed reviews but i say go watch it make up your mind and um just enjoy the silly fight scenes and of course Bryce Dallas Howard I understand yeah that you are now you are now almost as much of a fan as the OG fan sitting right next to you Stuart Fast um, you came I imagine for Bryce Dallas Howard and who, but who did you stay for who else was really good in this film? Well, it, it was really really weird because the marketing around this film has been very very heavy on the promotion of, of Henry Cavill and John Cena and yes we've got a bit of Sam Rockwell and Bryce in the, in the promotional material too but it it, it it was a real surprise to get into the cinema and see how little Henry and uh, and, and um, yeah, John Cena, John Cena, sorry, thank you, actually appeared in, in the film. And 
you sort of it might be the cynic in me, but I think they were used as sort of promotional material because whilst Bryce Dallas Howard does do a fantastic performance in the film, she has a really sort of interesting character that develops nicely along the course of the film, but you don't really sort of see her as like the, the centre of the film, despite the fact that she's appearing in the trailers. But she, she really surprised me in, in her delivery of her character and how much she was important to the role. It was, a, it was, it was not what I was expecting. Well, Will mentioned the fight scenes. Would you agree? Is the choreography of the fight scenes pretty good? Is this, a, is this action more than comedy? <laughs> the, the fight scenes are very reminiscent of the Kingsman. Yeah, yeah definitely. They're, 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 very, they're a little bit slapstick. They're very, very funny. They're set to some um, very amusing choices of, of, of musical scores. Um, and to be honest, this is an Apple movie. It's come from Apple. Um, they've, they've bankrolled it, I think. And, and, it, and it seems like... <sighs> The choice of music and the and, and and the mixing of music into the soundtrack almost seems like a go and listen to this on iTunes when the film's done. So <laughs> there is a little bit of Apple product placement in there. At one point, the author's writing her her, her next book on an iMac. Being a bit of a techie, I couldn't help but think that's vastly over respect for that right level of job. <laughs> <laughs> but but <coughs> what, what, who am I to say how Apple choose to spend and put their money? <laughs> um, and I, I, it's got two very you know you're, I'm looking at the cast list here and you do have Sam Rockwell and Brian Cranston. As well. They're both very critically acclaimed actors. Okay, Brian Cranston more for um, Breaking Bad on TV, but he's made an excellent transition into serious-minded films, if you like. And Sam Rockwell is, of course, an Oscar winner for Three Billboards, and generally, I think one of the most interesting character actors out there. So, is he effectively the main? Is he the main guy in this? Is he your main action guy? Or he always seems real quirky. <laughs> Don't want that. to give too much away, but obviously, um, you've got to work out: is he an antagonist? Is he a protagonist? But Yes, I think it's central to the story at the end of the day. Okay, okay. So really then you're both saying it, it, we should ignore the critics and, and, and we should be going to see this. On the big screen, you both saw it, it was only IMAX viewings yeah. available at yeah. the light last night, so you both went to go and see the IMAX. Yeah, How was right. that? Would you recommend? Uh, I would recommend it. It's, it's a very vibrant, colourful film, so it's worth going and seeing it on a big screen. Definitely check it out in cinemas. Um, yeah, and it 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 just it owes itself to the big screen. It it just really sort of comes alive in the cinema. True. Okay, well, I think that sounds that is a better that that's tends to yours and Nick and I are all kind of nodding saying, well, we didn't fancy it, but now maybe we should do. That is um, Argyle, and I think is it a um, certificate fifteen or a twelve A? Because actually, that was my question. I was going to ask: Is it a little less violent than the Kingsman films? Because they are. Dicky, the yes. second one, when you have Julianne Moore feeding people into a mint meat sir. Yes, it's, it's, a, it's a lot. It's a lot less. Um, a lot less. A lot less violence, but it's more comical. Okay, good. So maybe one for the family. So I believe that's certificate twelve A. I think. I hope yeah. I'm right in saying that. And it's showing at all three Cambridge cinemas. Um. No, it's not showing at the view and the lights. It's not showing at the picture house. I made that up. Right, the Renaissance. <laughs> I'm on fire today. The Renaissance of the musical at the cinema is going to continue with the colour purple. How come you don't laugh, none? Ain't you got something to make you just smile? my sister and I ain't seen her in years you know if you ain't gonna laugh you need to sell your footy bone <laughs> I was married to a man I didn't love whatever I say go and he took my sister away from me even if we have to part you and me us, us have one heart 
So, following the 1982 book by Alice Walker, then the 1985 film by Steven Spielberg, and then the Broadway musical, which I can't give you a year on, but I'm going to guess maybe late 2010s, perhaps, and Broadway musical came out. Anyway, this version of The Colour Purple has plenty to live up for. It is a direct two-film adaptation of the Broadway musical, like we've just seen with Mean Girls, but... Obviously a very different film. The story itself is Seely, an African-American teen growing up in Georgia in the 1900s amidst oppression and abuse and the story of how she manages to break out of this cycle. Yossi, you are a huge fan of a musical. I am, yes. I'm not sure if you were a huge fan of the original film of this, but I'm going to, you know, but, but how... So my first question is, it's a musical. How are the songs? <laughs> okay, so... um. My connection to The Colour Purple, I studied the novel, the original Alice Walker um, novel, at length when I was at school. And I have also seen the Steven Spielberg film, but I have paid no attention. I I didn't even realise it was a musical until, I think, last year that they made a musical adaptation of this. So actually, I forgot. When I started watching this film, I was like, oh, there are songs in this. Why are there songs in this? (laughs) Um, (laughs) And and then it, it kind of hit me. And the songs, they are good. But it's interesting because... My point of reference being the novel and the 1985 Spielberg film, it it felt like having this as a musical makes it a bit of a glossier take. It very much kind of... This is a very polished version of The Colour Purple. And I was worried that perhaps having music and songs and and, and choreography and all of this within the film might take away from some of the some of the subject matter and I was mulling about this for a while and uh, we're going to come and talk about American fiction later so I also wondered because there's a lot of tough subject matter in The Colour Purple but there's also a lot of hope and perhaps by turning this into a musical we're trying to show a bit more black joy rather than just black pain and trauma which might seem quite stereotypical so I was a little bit mixed going into this I think it does a fine job but it is very very glossy what i will say are the performances in this are stellar and they are heartfelt um so yeah i mean it 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 works but i just i'm not sure how people who who know the the novel who know the the 1985 film might feel about this version that's interesting and you actually did you 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 jumped on my next question as well which i was going to bring to will i was going to say obviously we've got big names from you know both from music and acting here you have fantasia barino who i believe is fantasia who came like second in american idol some years ago playing seely you have um, our, our new favourite Coleman Domingo, you have Tarad Tarachi P. Henson, <laughs> Danielle Brooks. This is a star, you know, this is a starry and impressive cast. Did anyone stand out for you? Um, I say Taraji P. Henson, definitely, um, as Shug Avery, because uh, she just stole the show, as in she was just this glamorous woman that everyone just fawned over. And. Sometimes I feel it could be me, but never mind. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly, exactly. Um, And I think Danielle Brooks stood out for me because obviously I'd only known her as um, she played Addie Bayo in in Peacemaker uh, with John Cena. So I'm like, wow, she can sing. Mm -hmm. And it was just brilliant in that way. And Fantasia gave um, a great turn as Seeley. And just not exactly a spoiler, but you get a, um, a brief cameo of the original Seely in the film let's just say that <laughs> if I can come in if, if, if that's okay Emma and just say that I thought Danielle Brooks for me was the star of the show here she was I, I know her from Orange is the New Black that's yeah, where I've seen her yeah. um, and um, but here she plays Sophia with 
it's just excellent. <laughs> this larger than life character, wonderful singing. There's one scene in particular. I don't want to spoil it, but it's where they're at the we're where they're at the dinner dinner table. table. Love the dinner table and, scene. And she starts <laughs> laughing out of nowhere. It's just it's just magnificent. She really shone for me. You mentioned Coleman Domingo. I'm becoming a huge fan of Coleman Domingo <laughs> as of late, and I wonder actually if he was a bit too likable for me to take as this abusive Mister character. Um, and I, one thing they do in this actually that they don't do so much in previous adaptations is is they try and make Mister a little less one dimensional. Um, as this character, so perhaps that's why they brought someone like Coleman Domingo in. But I, who brings a warmth to the he, human he element? He does to bring a bit perhaps, of warmth. Yeah. But Mister does absolutely terrible things. He's not a good mm. character. He gets he gets more of a redemption here. Well, well, it sounds like it, it sounds like like as you're saying, which is maybe a good thing. It, it, this is a slightly more. It, this is focusing more on the redemption rather than the kind of downtrodden. I'm not. I'm going to hold my hand up. I mean, I I, I studied some literature at, at, at University of America says so we never did The Colour Purple I think we, we did Beloved which was wonderful but um, I've never read The Colour Purple and I've never even seen the 1985 film which is appalling really considering I am of an age I should have done so I know very little about this <laughs> no judgement here but looking no. at the cast list again this looks like it's a film very much about feminist power as well about the power about women coming together to, to lift each other up yes, yes. Yeah. very much and how women have uh, have agency even in situations where that is taken away from them so it, it's very you know the, I for, for me this is for film about performances and fantastic women who really come through in these scenes and how is the choreography Oh, it's good. It is good. I mean, you Brilliant. know, in terms of if you're just looking at, sorry, Will, you can come in here, but in terms of looking at those big numbers and the choreography, it's it's a spectacle. It's good to look at. It is well well choreographed at the end of the day, and um, it just all fit in together. And I did enjoy the earlier version from '85, but then I just found myself spot thinking, I haven't seen this film in about. 15 years but I'm actually but I was just seeing all the, remembering all this stuff from all from all the different um, how should I put it parts should I say okay I'm going to ask one last question it's directed by a guy called Blitz Basawule he's a Ghanaian American filmmaker which I've never heard of and also he's only born in 82 how old would that make him 41, 41 these yeah. people get younger and younger <laughs> he's known he's best known well his, his biggest thing before this was directing Beyonce's Black is King so he obviously has come with, with a sort of with, with a sensibility of directing music for the screen is it, it is it capably directed one of my things I always thought with like I don't know the, the Bill the Bill Connor movie, like like um Beauty and the Beast musical I thought they were really pedestrian like, like sometimes these adapt adaptations of stage musicals can be rather pedestrianly directed it's like they forget they're doing it for a screen it almost feels like they've just lifted a stage musical up and popped it on on film how is this I don't know what you for me I didn't get that Will I thought I thought this did translate quite well it, to it cinema did. for it, me it helped the story flow as well yeah um, I, I mean, it, I would really like now to go and see the, the Broadway show mm. and just see how they managed to adapt it. It's made me quite interested to go and watch that. Um, but, but as a piece of cinema, it's, it's, it, it works, I would Definitely. say. Great, great. Well, that's a colour purple. It is a certificate... 15 and it's showing at the view and the light okay let's gonna hit we're gonna hit up our first of our streaming offers we're sticking with you yours and will on this one and it's over to snoop dogg in the underdogs america loves a superstar i'm jason two j's jennings i was a football legend but once you reach the mountaintop of greatness everybody wants to see you fall Two days just got smoked. 
Damn! You pled guilty to charges of speeding and damage to city property. I'm recommending community service with the Long Beach Recreations Department. I thought I was getting like some Martha Stewart kind of treatment. You too good for the community that raised you. From the Okay, that was a little touch of the underdogs and kudos for Stu for managing to find a trailer with no swearing in it because I started watching this film and, oh my word, the language is something else. Right, Snoop Dogg is in this playing Jason 2J's Jennings. He is a washed up American football player who is horrible to everybody it seems but then naturally gets sentences in community service coaching a ragtag team of middle school losers. I'm thinking Mighty Ducks but with like more bad language like I said. Um, is this going to be the making of him? Will, was it the making of him? Was it the making of you? How did you feel about this? <laughs> oh, gosh. It was just a, stra a straight-flowing story, just with a lot of profanity, especially from the kids. And I think some people would actually get a bit frustrated by it and think, why, why am I watching this? But it's a good... It's a good story in the fact that I think it's mainly based on Snoop. Snoop's got an American football team or he's actually um, invested in a franchise. So it's like telling a story about him, but then also it's a bit of a redemption story, should I say? What do you think, Yossi? <laughs> yeah. Sorry. I'm sorry. I, I, threw you, I just threw you, threw you under the bus. I, I'm laughing because... Um, this film, I mean, it's exactly what it says on the on the tin, really, isn't it? it it's a film with Snoop Dogg, and this is Snoop Dogg's film. No, you know, uh, that it does have this storyline about the coaching, and they try and give the kids a little back bit of backstory yeah. here and there, but no, this is very much a film for Snoop Dogg, and it's about him, and it's just a chance for him to shine. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be talking about American fiction, like you said. Is this is this per chance Snoop Dogg relying on his own stereotype? Stereotypes in this, would you say? That's I mean, a dangerous question, maybe. <laughs> I think he's just doing what he wants to do in this film. And I have to say, the first five Living minutes... when he's life. Yeah. Well, he, he very much is. And when the <laughs> film starts, I mean, I did laugh. As soon as he starts talking, I'm like, oh, OK, so this is what we're getting for the next 90 minutes. It's Snoop Dogg just being Snoop Dogg. I watched the first... I'd, I'd watched about the first 10 minutes before time and other things just, just swept over me, but I did notice that it actually was right at the very end, and I thought someone in my household was watching this. And it turned out to be Miles, one of my 16-year-olds, who loved it, because he was all up for seeing Snoop Dogg with some crate because you for the moment you see like the dreadlocks mm. the sort of caftans that he's wearing swanning around his, his enormous house that he still has despite the fact he doesn't seem to play football and outside I was like I can't really take Snoop Dogg seriously as a footballer anyway because the guy is so slim Snoop Dogg knows that it's very in the know yeah. Snoop knows all of this mm. well Miles I must say really enjoyed it so maybe if you have like teenage boys or you are a huge Snoop Dogg fan and you can perhaps close your ears because even I'm clearly turning into a bit of a nana but even I found the language in the first <laughs> 10 minutes I was like wow <laughs> a lot but if you can if you can get past that and you're a Snoop Dogg fan then you know like we say sometimes we try and throw streamers onto this show because it's important we all recognise that, that you know not everybody wants to go out to the cinema and also obviously um the streaming services are putting more and more money into films and into films that would have had a small cinema release and now often going straight to streaming. Yeah. And Amazon Prime can someone have, have some interesting finds on there which is why we yeah. try and look for that sometimes maybe than the more obvious Netflix ones. So it it's sounds fun. like you're both saying, go for this. It's a good bit of fun. Yeah. As in, if you can get over the language, then it's, <laughs> it's pretty cool. Okay, great. That is The Underdogs. It's on Amazon Prime streaming and it is a certificate 15, but as I think we've made very clear, just be aware of the language. Right, we've got, we're going to squeeze in one more film before the adverts and we're going to make it a Netflix streamer. Orion and the Dog. 
Nothing for that? No trailer for that. But then also, that was he dropped on Netflix yesterday. And Nick, you were the cheerleader for this one in the lineup because it was written by Charlie Kaufman, as you pointed out. Yeah. Um, tell us a little bit more about this. Well, I mean, exactly as you say, it's written by Charlie Kauf Kaufman. Um, and you really just stop and take that in for a moment. The, the writer of Sunshine, uh, Eternal Sunshine of Spotless Mind and Being John Malkovich has written a kids' movie. And I think you should just absorb that fact for a moment um, and, uh, and, and, and recognise where this might go. Um, it's basically about a boy with an overactive imagination who's basically fearful of everything from bees, dogs to evil clowns and, um, and even the ocean. And it's perf it, it is written Kaufman... Um, large all over the all over the piece because it, he brings to it his unique storytelling um this sort of introvert introspective extra existential dread for kids is all over this movie um which is brilliant for pre-teens i sat down with my uh, 11 nearly 12 year old son and said let's watch this movie he goes what's it about and i said well let's find out he sat down, was absorbed throughout from start to finish, because Kaufman has this way of, of getting inside your anxieties and your um, and worries and fears about life, which is all over pre-teens, um, and then explaining them in a way that um, makes you feel, okay, life isn't a bed of roses, there are problems and trauma throughout. Um, but we can we can deal with them together. So this kid basically goes on a journey with dark. Um, who he's afraid of the dark and the dark turns up and takes him on this odyssey um, and along the way we meet uh, the voice of, of, of small sounds the voice of weird sounds of bad dreams and all these characters and you're beginning to realise at this point it's a lot it does owe heavy debt to Inside Out um, which to be clear is a better movie Inside Out it's full of that, that pathos and charm be hard really to beat and match so this isn't as good as Inside Out um, but that's an unfair comparison to be perfectly honest it's um, it's a, a surprisingly excellent film well it's got on, on Netflix under, under the radar it's got some excellent um, voice actors I've been noticing it's got mm -hmm. Jacob Tremblay best known for Room voicing Orion and then Paul Walter Hauser who is about to be who the rumour is he's going to be the starring role in Quentin Tarantino's next and final film but Ooh. probably best known for Blackbird The After Party but he is and he's voicing Dark and, and also you've got Colin Hanks um, Ike Barins so it's got some really good voice voice talent in this yes and that comes across particularly in dark's voice it um it it, it's, it has a sort of um the reassuring um i'm okay i'm not bad but you know then i can be scary and dark all at the same time and and the film does a good job and um, as i say charlie kaufman has written a story that allows it's the yin and yang of life and it's um, it, it, it sort of, you can't have the dark without the light. And, and how is the animation? The, the animation is fine. The animation reminded me somewhat of um, <clears throat> the underpants movies and a sort of French style of uh, um, sort of bubble heads, I like to call them, but that doesn't really describe it very well. The animation is very good and, and charming, and, and um, it doesn't actually... It's a bit meta in places. I don't want to give away too much, but um, there is a story within a story which helps, I think, um, set its place and ground it. But it... If, uh, it it does appeal, I think, to quite to the preteen audience. I wouldn't say this is going to appeal to anyone over the age of fifteen. Um, and what about the very young? Would it be a bit too much for the very no, young? Do you the think? very young would 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 would, would, like um, would like it. They'd miss a lot of it, but they'd like it. This is a surprisingly um, successful outing for for Kaufman in, in children's in children's filmmaking. It could lead to a whole new career too for him. I, Who I mean, knows? I, I don't know where it would lead, but I'd be, you know, <laughs> watch out for um, being John Malkovich as a kid. <laughs> Thank you.
Thank you, Nick. That was Orion and the Dog. It's a certificate PG and is streaming on Netflix. Cambridge 105 Radio. Every Saturday night on Cambridge 105 Radio, Chris Brown presents Cambridge's original Saturday night soul show. It's a fantastic thing. I'm Cambridge bred and born, and so I present my show and play my soul and dance music in Cambridge. People that listen to my show, then they'll go out to one of my gigs, and when I get there, people will say, oh, that track you played on your show, can you play it tonight? It's like a gang, if you like, that I've got on a Saturday night of soul fans. Chris Brown's soul and dance show, Saturdays at 6 on Cambridge 105 Radio. CKLG Accountants are a friendly team of accountants and tax advisors with big firm expertise. I'm Lawrence, Director of CKLG, responsible for business services. Throughout your lifetime, your personal and financial situation will change. Maybe you've just arrived in the UK to work or are looking to invest in property. Perhaps you're making plans for your retirement and are looking to reduce potential inheritance tax liabilities. CKLG Accountants ensure you receive bespoke tax advice tailored to you and your family's needs along the way. To find out more, call us on Cambridge 810100 to arrange an initial chat with one of our specialists or visit our website cklg.co.uk. CKLG Accountants, your partner in business, your partner in life. If you work in the automotive industry and are looking for a change of direction in 2024, we've a great opportunity. We're Meridian Business Support, one of the UK's leading recruitment companies. Right now, we're recruiting for a large household name here in Cambridge. We're looking for the right candidates for roles including MOT testers and vehicle technicians. You'll be working with the latest diagnostic technology and be able to broaden your expertise, creating happy customers along the way. To apply, text Auto Centre to... 8802. Sign on term supply. For more information about Meridian and the roles we have in your area, visit meridianbs.co.uk. Cambridge 105 Radio. The Cambridge Film Show on Cambridge 105 Radio. You are listening to the Cambridge Film Show here on Cambridge 105 Radio and with our lovely reviewers, yours, Nick, Will and Stu. We've got three movies to go and then hopefully we're going to have time for a quick roundup of our own personal hits and misses from the Oscar nominations. Remember that all of our primetime shows are available on Catch Up in One Handy Place, the Cambridge 105 Radio website. And don't forget that all of our back shows are available there as well should you have missed any of our very insightful reviews. Just go to cambridge105.co.uk and search for downloads. It's February, so we are in the midst of the heavy awards hitters, and here is one of the heaviest. Das ist ja Right, just a little bit of that trailer for the zone of interest as it is German language, but I hope you got a little taste of the soundtrack there because that is one of the most key parts of this film. So the zone of interest is British director Jonathan Glazer's first feature since Under the Skin, which was an amazing 10 years ago, and it heralds a welcome return from one of our most exciting filmmakers, adapted heavily from Martin Amis' 2014 novel of the same name. It gives us a year or so in the life of Rudolf and Hedwig Hoss, living in a sunlit villa in Poland in the mid-40s, with Hedwig raising their five children and Rudolf working hard for promotion. Although, of course, Rudolf Hoss is the commandant of Auschwitz and their bucolic life is happening in the shade of the furnaces and the train tracks of the death camp itself. 
Nick, mm. we've all talked about this when we when we saw it. I think all of us have seen it. You mean Yossi? All sort of mentioned afterwards that it is it, it is a remarkable film, and it mm. was a remarkable cinema experience mm. for me. I've never been in a more silent cinema. I don't think. No. Um, I'd done a bit of reading beforehand. Was this what you were expecting? Well, funnily enough, I have read the book. And so, uh, but it is very heavily adapted from the book. And, and the book has three voices within it. And this film really deals with one one voice and his wife, which is, in the book, is Paul Dole, but um, the Rudolf Hoss voice. Essentially, this film, um, and it's not a new idea. Um, uh, Cloud Landsman did it in bits of Showa, where you, you and, and, and Michael Haneke have done it, where you've got uh, testaments of... Um, Auschwitz survivors and they tell their stories without you seeing anything and this film is precisely that it's it basically set in the um, the, the, the commandant's house with his wife next door and their three children and they're living a perfectly normal life while we are hearing um, the, the screams and the horror that's going on next door but not actually seeing anything. Um, Lucas Sal, the cinematographer, does an excellent job, I think, of, 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 of having the menace over the wall. Well, actually, what's really interesting as well, because I read about this, they rebuilt that entire sort of copy of Rudy. I did, they, mm. you know, they, they studied all the photographs. It's an exact copy of that house, but also mm. they put all the cameras in there. Some they could be seen, some couldn't be seen, but there were no cameramen at all. The cameramen were all in a trailer outside nice. the house. So nice. while the actors were moving around and, and, and because it almost has that documentary feel. Mm. Sandra Huller was, was was interviewed to say, yeah, you felt incredibly alone, which made the, the, the sense of the horrors weigh heavier on them as actors, but also probably gave more naturalistic performances. So it is a, yeah, well, I think so, because I think, really, there's not much plot to this um, story. There's not a lot happened. It's about everyday life and, and sort of normal living of, 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 a, of a family and kids going to school, which is juxtaposed by the horror of Auschwitz, which is why it's so powerful. Um, it really, it's a sort of treatise of tone piece on the banality of evil really of how um you can um, she calls herself the, his wife um who's um not a character you warm to in any way shape or form calls herself the queen of auschwitz because she and she's particularly proud of her of her, her dahlias that she's growing in her greenhouse and, and she's completely oblivious to what's going on next door there is one comment that she says um halfway through the film where she says to one of the maids who's a jew um but it's got a uh, is, is helping them in the house you know i could have my husband turned your ashes to dust yeah. so you know there's a there's a i don't think she's oblivious i don't think no. you're meant to think they're oblivious it's just that this is this was a dismantling she, of germany by this is how the third reich managed it isn't she it? knows full well what's going yeah. on but oh, she's yeah. oblivious to um, she's sort of di uh, disassociated for herself from any kind of reality to to what's going on but uh, i mean it i will just say because i'm sure others want to say a lot about this it, it is a remarkable piece of filmmaking because it doesn't it, it is a classic a case of show don't tell it um has a, a beautiful coda at the end that i think sets it in, in uh, i think some people have taken against that but I, I really like that set it in its place in history but what really the film does i i, I think i said this um, to one of you before i don't know what i was making of the film while i watched it i, I wasn't sure if i was thought this was, was great or not but when i left the cinema my goodness i couldn't stop thinking about it for days and you can say whatever you like about the film if a film does that to you it's got to be something of a masterpiece in my mind totally agreed um yossi we mentioned sandra huller there who of course is also up for best actress for anatomy of a fall quite the year for her because it is a remarkable performance as is christian friedel's 
as Rudolf Hoss, but this isn't necessarily a film about performance. It, 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 so, it's almost, to me, it felt almost like an immersive piece of art. Yes, I, absolutely right. And that, that's actually what I was, I was going to talk about. I'll jump on that. No, no, no not at all. It, no, no, you're leading me in. It's great. Um, I mean, this film, I, I text afterwards to say that I was absolutely speechless when I came out of it. It was like an... Ex- experiential uh, film for me almost Mm. and the director Jonathan Glazer hats off because to deal with such tough and sensitive subject matter um, this can't be an easy watch and he does not really make this an easy watch even though you're looking at you know very mundane activities in Mm. fact some of the scenes are very Mm. idyllic family scenes you know but from the minute you sit down and that film begins Mm. you are being challenged you are meant to be unsettled. You know, there's that black screen that you mm. see for yes. two or three minutes where there's just this uncomfortable noise that starts you off and, and that kind of sets you for the rest of the film. And any time, actually, th- there were bits where I was sort of getting used to the kind of idyllic family mm. set pieces and the just sort of... It's great that you talk about the banality of evil, mm. the banality of it. And then there will be a switch, a cinematic choice, which is quite jarring. Mm. It might be... a a, a shot of one of the uh, SS officers or it might be a, when the screen goes from a flower into just a red mm-hmm. screen but every now and again Glazer throws in these pieces that mm. are meant to just kind of jar you and unsettle you I mean the whole thing is unsettling and can, can, you know the use of sound yeah it's, again if the, I mean this should obviously walk best sound at the Oscars I think and yeah. Mika Levi who worked on yes, his, Mika, yeah he's the composer who worked yeah. with um, Jonathan Glazer on Under the Skin as yeah. well his soundtrack is as much a part of this Absolutely. As, as any of the actors or the director it's, it's fantastic totally it's agree. phenomenal Michael Levy should, should, should win something for this as well uh, can I just very quickly yeah. pick up on the, the sound of nature and um, the beginning Th- that sound actually thro- felt stayed with me throughout and I didn't I'm not sure if this is the director's intention but for me I, I kept thinking about the um, the evil that we do to human humanity does to each other and yet all around nature is doing its own thing oblivious to the fact that we're slaughtering millions of Jews in, behind these walls and yet you hear the birds tweet and living their own dramas and their own lives and it really, I can't quite put it, it's mellifluous in and its way but it, it placed it in such a stark contrast. And also then coinciding obviously with what effectively seem to be management meetings. They have, you know, he, yeah. he does get transferred so, and, but they have the meeting where they're discussing how they are going to maximise, you, you, you know, the... the, 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 the how they're going to rebuild new crematoriums basically to maximise the efficiency of the and it is just that really made my hair stand up yes and it's interesting that it kind of takes you on that trajectory towards the end where you actually leave the house and you're you're confronted mm-hmm. with these meetings with a lot of these these individuals who are very involved in the horrors that are going on at that time and it just brings it all to the forefront again in such mm-hmm. a way that you you can't stop it's like, it, but Nick says mm. you can't stop thinking about and it's it only no, this, and it's only this one point in time which is before you know which is when things were going incredibly well should we say for the Nazis and their plan and you, you, you don't apart from like you say that, that choice at the end which is really interesting I won't I, I'd like you say some people have loved it some people mm. have hated it um, apart from that very choice you, you don't see any point where it's going to go badly we, god my god we could talk about this forever we could we could um, <laughs> please please go and see this if you can do it I think it's such an important film I think we all agree with that and it's also just a brilliant piece of filmmaking from a brilliant British director. It's a certificate 12A and is showing at all three Cambridge cinemas. Right, on to our final streamer. We are going to take a trip with the Mallard family. Here we are together. We're on an adventure. Seeing what else life has to offer. Is that a little scary? Sure. But isn't it worth it? 
We're not gonna make it, are we? Uncle Dan! What is this place? We are completely lost. Was your mother? Okay, this new cin- Actually, I said streaming. That was naughty of me. This is a new cinema release. Came out yesterday. This was that was migration, and it tells the story of a family of Mallards, the Mallard family, who persuade their overprotective fathers to take a journey from New England to Jamaica. Will you saw this? It comes with chops in that it's written by Mike White, who is now stratospheric thanks to the White Lotus, and also directed by Benjamin Renner, who made the inventive and critically beloved Ernest and Celestine some years ago. Does this give you something extra as a kids' film? Was it was it something for everyone? Um, I guess it was. Um, well, it's just a typical DreamWorks family film where children and adults will actually love it. Um, story begins about a father duck who tells tales of horror um, about outside the pond, outside where they live, just to pass his insecurities onto his kids. Um, and a chance meeting with another family of migrating ducks um, sets them off on an adventure to Jamaica. And it also becomes a bit of a hilarious character development, heist movie a rescue mission and in the end the family bond is just made stronger and I'd actually say it flows well and the interesting aspect is that you only hear the animals talk and humans are just um, they're just reduced to grunting or singing within the film so definitely in- worth a watch our interest is like the other way around from us I suppose you so, hear birds singing and they're talking that's very clever um, how's the animation on it I asked um, Nick that question about our last animated feature he was sort of he said I think it was more the writing and the story in that that mm. gave it its, its heft is this inventively animated it is um, as I said made by DreamWorks DreamWorks have actually got better as the years gone years have gone by and it flow. as I said it flows and the animation is pretty top notch and it's believable Excellent. I would love to talk a little bit more to you about Migration, Will. I know. But as we know... I, you know, more like, films. I know, I know. So many films. Why also, <laughs> it's, that's February for you, isn't it? We've got so much to cover. But that is Migration. Will's giving it a firm family recommendation. It does look fun. It's got Kumar Nanjiani, Elizabeth Banks, even the beloved Carol Kane and Aquafina in there, Danny DeVito, some amazing voice actors. Mm-hmm. So I think go and see it. It's showing the light of the view and it's a t- certificate PG. Okay. Whew. On to our last one, and it's back to a multi-award-nominated film. How did you come to write this book? What really struck me was that too few books were about my people. Where are our stories? Where's our representation? Would you give us the pleasure of reading an excerpt? Yo, Sharonda, girl, you be pregnant again? If I is, Ray Ray is gonna be a real father this time around. That was a little touch of the trailer for American Fiction, which is based on the novel Erasure by acclaimed author Percival Everett. American Fiction stars Jeffrey Wright as a Theolodonius Monk Ellison, an an author whose popularity and hence his sales are waning. Given an absence of leave from work, he heads back to Boston to his mildly dysfunctional family where his mother's Alzheimer's is worsening. To pay the bills, he's inspired to write a novel exactly of the type he despises, a stereotypical take on the black experience in America under a pseudonym. And then to his shock, it becomes a huge hit and this joke runs away with itself. Yours, we went to go and see this together yesterday. It only opened yesterday. It's up for um, five Oscars, I think, including Best Film and Best Supporting Actor for Sterling K. Brown and Best Adapted Screenplay. Um, 
it's had a lot of hype coming over from the from the states was it did it live up to the hype for you was it what you hoped it would be yeah i mean it's interesting when we a lot of the bafta oscar contenders that we've been talking about have been quite heavy going or melancholic and this is one of those films that it's quite nice that we've left this to the end because it, it i found this an absolute delight to watch and i know because me and you were sat together yesterday and we were laughing quite a lot in it but it's one of those films that um was very enjoyable and it's funny and it's electric but it has a really strong message behind it as you talk about the kind of media and publishing how it looks at um representations of the black experience um and it does it in a very satirical way and i i just thought it really really worked for me and it actually had more heart than i expected because i i, I knew your kind of summary of the plot i thought we were going to get this really biting satire mm. but actually what you also get alongside it is um you know, a story of a man who's got his own issues with his family and there's some real emotional punch to it, which I guess is like probably proving the point of the film. You know, just as thematically we're talking about... Um that behind what might be a stereotype of real people, real lives, mm. Monk also has his own issues, he has his own real life behind what he's trying to present to everyone. And I thought that worked really nicely. I agree. I was gonna say, yeah, I was gonna say when I let when I led into Nick that yes, this this has been sort of billed as as a as a biting satire. I have read one of personal ever sort of other books, Trees, and, and they that mm. is and it, it he write he is a, a brilliant writer and in fact he's bringing out a new book this year which is called James, which is mm. gonna be a retelling of Huckleberry Finn, but from the point of view of Jim the Slave, which I think will be equally... I think anything he writes is fascinating. Yeah. So I was expecting something, like you said, really biting, but this is a much softer, gentler, more human film, as well as being really funny. Did you, what? Yeah, what did you find that, Nick? Were you as involved yeah. with the family saga as you were with, with what is going on, with the insanity that's going uh, on with uh, um Yes, absolutely. And Percival Everett, I mean, comes... Got, and I, um, I'm not Sidney, Sidney Poitier, I think he, he read, wrote as well, which... Um, very, very, very um, well-received book, none of which I've read. Um, <laughs> but, and yes, I did. Uh, uh, m m the film takes... It, it, it has a... Uh, it's perfectly paced. Each character is introduced at the right time yeah. with the right cadence. You, you come along and you say, oh, and then this person, and they're well-rounded with their own... They're not quite... You think, oh, they're this, and then they make a joke, and then, and then it's this. Um, <clears throat> it, it's basically a clash between, for me race and class and literary but i think cultural snobbery um and i think it mashes and melds the the three together brilliantly i would say um the there's there's when they um the, it, it, you'd think this, this story is not um really believable or how on earth could he get away with this this actually predates the jt Leroy story I, um yeah. uh, and so you know this is something that 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 does or can happen does has well, happened. also the guy who wrote little a million little pieces. Who was the guy that Oprah, the, you know, the drug addict that Oprah complete? Oh, while you're talking, I will look that no, up. No, I mean, but, a similar but, one. And but, Oprah looked absolutely foolish at the end of it because she completely, and it turned out it was all made up and it was meant to be his drug. But it was meant to be here. And so you think, you know, so so even you sort of stranger than fiction. Well, it isn't stranger than fiction. And Jeffrey Rush, uh, Jeffrey Rush, Jeffrey Wright, phenomenal, uh, um, is phenomenal. And I I wrote down here he's sensitive, funny, charming, um, detached, remote. I mean, he's all of those things, and he portrays all those, to your point, yours, he, he portrays that, that complexity of his character brilliantly. If I had one criticism, I, didn't, I couldn't quite like the resolution with his girlfriend that, that 
But um, I did think she was. I thought Coraline, the girlfriend played by Erica Alexander, I thought she, she was, was lovely present. She oh, was very warm. But wonderful. they didn't really. They, I don't think they did. Did they? Or did they? She kind of can't work out if they, they, they ended I, I don't up. Think, I don't want to give the I, film I, I away. I think it's actually up to the audience what they take from <laughs> Yes, that. I think that's right. Um, I think that's right. I, but I think, yeah, you're right. Jeffrey Wright, oh, Jeffrey Wright, absolutely. But yours were only other standouts in the cast for you. I mean, you've got yes. Tracy Ellis Ross, you have Erica Alexander, Adam Brody. Yes. You, yeah. Oh my gosh, Adam Brody is hilarious in this film. <laughs> very he small, really, he has a, a very treat. small part, but is, but also Sterling K. Brown, who mm. you mentioned, who is is Oscar nominated for this. Wow, I mean, I love yeah. Sterling K. Brown. Anything he's in, he really brings. Uh, a brilliant performance but in this you, you don't see him too much but when he's there he kind of commands the screen alongside someone like Jeffrey Wright who's one of our finest actors working today yeah. I mean it's a great cast can I just say about Sterling K Brown uh, I'm a, a um, happily married straight man but my goodness that man is, is magnificent <laughs> to look at he spends quite a lot of the time in film without a top on and I'm, top on, I'm looking at him going my well, goodness delight- you're a perfect specimen of a human yeah. being it's a delightful <laughs> side story isn't it that he is a gay man who's now you know who's a They've all got their own issues to come in their family, Indeed. and also living as I do with a, with a father who's been diagnosed with Alzheimer's. I thought it dealt with the with, with that storyline really sensitively as well. That you, the mother, you know, mother's yeah. declining health. It's just, I just think it's a beautifully well rounded. It, it's film. it's very well rounded. Yeah. When I was last on the show, we we were discussing um, poor things, and uh, Lorcan was saying uh, I, I felt it was a fable, so it didn't matter. But he was talking about how um, the, the caricatures in poor things. Everyone was a caricature. Well, in this film, you can say the exact opposite. Everyone is well rounded and believable, and they have a back story that you you trust and, and recognize well le- leading on from now that's american fiction it's a certificate 15 it's showing at all the cambridge cinemas and it's really highly recommended right that american fiction has been nominated for five oscars the zone of interest has been nominated for five oscars as we know oppenheimer is the absolute beast of them all and is nominated <laughs> for 13 <laughs> followed by poor things 11 then killers of the flower moon with 10 barbie with eight maestro seven Blah, blah. Right. I'm just going to very quickly go round. I, I think we all know that the marketing campaign between Oppenheimer seems to have it going into the Oscars with, with all the momentum. I mean, it's been winning the prizes, in my opinion, probably Killian Murphy and um, oh, well, Robert Downey Jr. is going to win, but there's not much I can do about that, as Sterling K. Brown said last night on Graham Norton. I would love, having seen American Fiction last night, I would love to see Sterling K. Brown win for that performance because I think it's bravura and brilliant and, and, and a highlight in a very, very well-stuffed film. I would also like to see some of the other nominations spread across some of these excellent films. I, th- I think it'll be a shame if Oppenheimer goes in and just sweeps the board for the technical and film awards, which I suspect it will do. For example, I think Jonathan Glazer should be probably winning Best Director for that yeah. piece of work. But that's just my opinions. Um, let's go around and see if anybody has got any major hits or major misses. You've got about... Uh, 45 seconds each. Well, if I remember correctly, our top film of last year was Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. I think that's correct. That is, of course, our animated feature film nomination um, alongside Robot Dreams and Mona Elemental and The Boy and the Heron. I think probably it's going to be a tie between Spider-Man and The Boy and the Heron. Not having seen The Boy and the Heron, but given the calibre of film, I think they're probably going to be the sort of two most likely to, to get it. It could be a curveball, it could be Elemental and Mona or Robot Dreams, but... I like that. I saw The Boy and the Heron. It was very good. Nick, any major misses for you, or do you feel this is Oppenheimer's year? Are you happy with that? Well, uh, the one thing I noticed is that Zone of Interest is Best International Feature, and it's also up for a Best best film and so, um so i suspect that that'll win the best international feature but not get much else um which i think is a shame because i think it is a remarkable piece of filmmaking it's anatomy of a it's anatomy of a fall up for international and best picture as well or not because oh it is no, 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 no competition in that i think 
Um, n- uh, no, no, it's not. Um, it's Society of the Snow, which I, I liked, which I reviewed last, is, is on there. But no, it's not, actually. So, for me, it's interesting, because it, while it is in German, uh, it is an international film, but it, in a different way. So that was the thing that I'd, I'd call out. I know, unless there's very little time. Yossi? I'll be quick. Lily Gladstone. <laughs> let's do it. Let's, let's, let's do it! Okay. <laughs> Any thoughts on best film? What, was your, what, would, you, what would you give best film to? I mean, mm. I'd, I really need to think about it because I'm, mm. I, Zone of Interest has kind of come out of nowhere mm. and American fiction and completely wowed me. Mm. So I'm, I'm like you, I don't want to see Oppenheimer sweeping. I want to see some of these other great <laughs> it films. May, it may yet not have uh, got the sags, which is important. Will, first of all, before Nick, Will? Um, I'm looking at Killers of the Flower Moon and and uh, poor things at the moment okay two very different films very good yes. I, I don't want maestro to win <laughs> <laughs> that was very definite I think maestro's wins to be honest have been in its seven nominations which feels over garland in any way for, for what it's, it a, it's not a bad film but not at all right we've got to wrap up because we've, we've, we've absolutely filled it to the brink this week we'll be back in two weeks time where the only film I know for sure is The Iron Claw which is obviously <laughs> I, I, me for one is terribly excited about but I'm sure there are other ones to tune into so um thank you very much for listening have a marvelous rest of your saturday or if you're listening to us on podcast or a marvelous rest of your day it's goodbye from all of us goodbye goodbye the cambridge film show on cambridge 105 radio